0: doctor RJ Rushduni R R one hundred sixty one CL one hundred sixty four Manners from the Easy Chair Excellent Colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is RJ Rushduni, Easy Chair number two hundred and seventy four, september first, nineteen ninety two. Otto Scott. Douglas Murray and Mark Washtuni and I are going to discuss now manners. Manners are not very commonly discussed in this generation. When Otto and I grew up, of course, they were very strongly stressed. (laughs) And historically, they have been important whenever a culture has made great steps forward. One of the things that interested me greatly when some years ago I did a great deal of reading in the life of George Washington and in fact read his collected works was the fact that as a boy George Washington... Copied, word for word an entire little book on rules for behavior, manners. Unlike others of his day who came from good families, George Washington did not have the opportunity for a good education. He was the uh, son of a second marriage. He had half-brothers older than himself were going to inherit everything so that, unlike other Virginians of note, Washington never had the opportunity to travel, to go to Europe, to have all kinds of education at home and abroad, and so he educated himself self-consciously. And it was his intention to be a Christian gentleman As a result, he copied every maxim in this Book of Manners and apparently memorized them all because he felt it was so important to his life as a man of character, as a Christian gentleman. All his life he was notable for his courtesy, and for his manners well that seems a remote world but it still existed to World War II and to a lesser extent through the 50s the 60s went out of its way to trample underfoot everything connected with that world But when Otto and I, for example, were young, it was strongly stressed. I recall once when I was a boy, uh, an incident that had a powerful impact on me. We had, as guests in our home, a widow and her son who was... Oh, about four years or more older than myself, and my parents were helping them out until she could find uh, some kind of housing. Uh, Another child, a daughter, was looking for work, which she subsequently found, and they moved and lived together. But uh, the boy, Willie, was a stinker, an absolute stinker. And he finally uh, overstepped himself with me. He went into my stamp collection and took out some stamps he wanted, some choice ones. And I found out just before we sat down at tables. So I came there and told him he was a thief, that he had stolen my stamps. And uh, at once my father beckoned to me and took me out to the barn. And he said, Until you're ready to behave like a gentleman, You stay here with the cows, but when you're ready, you can come back in. Of course, I had to go back and say I was sorry, and Willie's mother made him return the stamps. But that little episode I could uh, reproduce uh, a dozen times over from incidents that took place among the boys I grew up with. Manners were expected of all of us. We got clobbered if if we were out of line too far in uh, our behavior. And uh, the boys I'm talking about in this particular context were all farm boys, uh, very good uh, workers with their hands who had to do a man's job before they were in their teens. But manners were expected of them. And this is now gone. I know that in the 70s I was insulted a number of times when I automatically held a door open for a woman who was coming into a bank or a store just behind me. And that was treated as insulting behavior by these feminists. I'm glad to say that hasn't happened for some time. But for a while it was commonplace. It was a deliberate contempt for mannerly behavior. Well, I could go on, but Otto, uh, what would you like to say in a general way on the subject of manners?
2: Well, manners are essential if you want to get along in the world. They provide a sort of a safety zone between yourself and other people. Now, I found them, uh, I was given a very strict upbringing in that direction my father was quite formal and my mother also was very rigid the best manners in my opinion are those that don't show uh, because if they show they're obviously artificial and you're putting it on and it doesn't quite work but <clears throat> you have to uh, be courteous toward the other fellow if you want to neutralize your relations I was on many many waterfronts and before I went to see that matter in the war I was in a number of very rough situations with very rough people they didn't talk rough they were rough and it was a very good smart thing to be courteous because you could get into very serious trouble very quickly if you weren't. And I think I talked once about Caracas and one of my cousins asked me if I had a gun. And I said no, and he went over and opened the bureau and pulled out a a pistol and gave it to me and said, carry a gun. Uh, The men in Caracas, at least at that time in the 50s, were invariably courteous. And uh, it paid to be courteous because otherwise they would shoot you. (laughs) and they literally would shoot you and they would not only shoot you but if they sh- shot you because you had insulted them the police would not charge them with any crime this was a very old Latin American situation I remember that when we were in Brazil there was a general uh, Flores de Cunha who had seduced the wife of a prominent journalist and some weeks later ran unexpectedly into the journalist in a corridor in one of the office buildings. And De Cunha immediately pulled out his pistol and shot the journalist dead. And he was, of course, arrested, and they asked him why he did it, and he said, well, of course, you know that I took his wife and I assumed that he would shoot me as soon as he saw me. So he said, I shot in self-defense first. And they let De Cunha off. Well, that's an extreme example of of manners in another part of the world. But manners here have come under considerable attack with the rise of people who uh, were raised in other cultures. And their ideas of manners are different than the traditional American ideas or English ideas of manners. My father's idea of manners were both Latin and English, and it was an interesting combination. Uh, I found that to use the other man with courtesy was to set up a safety zone in all relations. It avoided unnecessary arguments, and it made everything easier. In New York City, on the other hand, I kept running into people in fairly recent years, let's say a couple of decades back in the 30s, especially in the post-war II era, who regarded manners as a sign of weakness, as a sign of inferiority, that you were being polite because you were, felt inferior to them, and then they would get a little bit insolent. And that, of course, you would respond to properly. I, I I do agree with the English Englishman who said a good gentleman is never offensive accidentally.
0: Douglas.
3: Well, it uh, <clears throat> seems to me I don't know maybe I'm wrong, but the decline in manners seems to parallel the decline in morals in our society. Yes. And it would be interesting to do a study of uh, past cultures, uh, empires that have uh, gone through their cycle, rise and fall cycle, and see if that parallel exists uh, because it's a warning mm-hmm. to, to the future that uh, that's the litmus test of a declining civilization.
1: That's a good point. Because when you go back and study Roman literature, you find that as the empire became particularly strong and decadent, the uh, literary figures uh, seem to indulge in perpetual put-downs on everyone, pornographic put-downs very commonly. So that uh, they resembled very much our comedians today, to whom humor is to try to degrade and embarrass someone.
2: Well, that's from a subcultural group that specializes in sarcasms and put-downs and sneers in general. It's not really the traditional American way. The traditional American way, in humor, was rather elaborate, long stories. Mm -hmm. Jokes with a setting and so forth, a punchline and characters, little playlets almost. The, um, The changes that I noticed came after World War II. Now, we were... Despite what is said now, raised to be extremely careful of other people's sensitivity, especially if they came from a different background. I mean, it was understood that you uh, were especially careful then not to offend in any way, but and especially not to offend anyone's religion or ancestry. I mean, on the other hand, there was a, there was a lot of uh, wit and there was a lot of humor exchange there were an awful lot of ethnic jokes at which everybody laughed because they were told generally with, uh, with
3: uh, without malice perfection
2: so it was strange that the language was in some ways freer then mm-hmm. uh, and relations were more harmonious but yet today where certain words and terms are forbidden there's a lot of hatred in the air uh,
1: in terms of what you said uh, about guns P.J. O'Rourke in his book on the Parliament of Horrors a book about Congress uh, says that uh, when people carried arms it made everybody very courteous
2: well it does and it would mm-hmm. and that was true in rough company too if you knew that the company was rough, you were especially careful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, I've heard said about Manners years ago, this was, was that just as a car without oil would see its motor burn up very quickly... So, too, a society without manners would see communication very quickly destroyed. And that's a comment I've never forgotten, because I think it sums up exactly what the function of manners is. And this is why we have a divided society today. We have never in American history been a more divided society than we are now.
2: That's true. And look at all the efforts that have been made by the social scientists to improve us. Yes. Uh the it, it, it's it's a strange paradox.
1: Well we talk about the terrible things that happened in the pre war American culture, the lynchings and whatnot. The lynchings were not that many. They've been exaggerated, and they were lynchings not only of blacks, which is what people have trouble understanding, but of whites. Certainly in California that was true. And yet we have more violence in a week in the streets of America, and I'm tempted to say a day in it would probably be true, against innocent people than would happen in an entire year in the pre-war days.
2: We have 23,000 murders a year. The number of injuries, physical, uh, injuries and physical violence, I, I don't know the number, but it's in the tens of thousands. They have so many robberies and burglaries that the metropolitan police are overwhelmed. And we also have something else, uh, going back to the manners thing. We have people who seem literally to have been raised without manners, mm-hmm. uh, whose parents apparently never told them that a uh, the lack of manners is a very perilous, mm-hmm. very perilous thing to have. Manners are your protection. I, the most, I remember interviewing some, uh, members of the Chicago Capone Gang, uh, Louis Fichetti amongst others. And, uh, Fischetti was an older man, and, uh, obviously nobody to take liberties with. And I called him Sir, because when I was young I did say Sir to older men. And he responded very well. He, he liked that. When I ran a liquor store in San Francisco on the edge of the worst district on Sixth Street, there were there was large, uh, cheap hotels across the street, and a lot of winos. And the winos would come in and ask for a fifth of wine, fifty cents a fifth. I gave instructions that 49 cents wouldn't do, it had to be 50 cents, but each time you put it in a bag and hand it to the man and say, thank you, sir. And that one trick had them lined up along the street for us to open in the morning, although there were all kinds of liquor stores in competition with us. Mm -hmm. They all made a beeline for that story to be told, thank you, sir, which was their right. They were spending their money, and uh, I was amazed, though, with the effect. And also, it was a sad sort of thing, because it showed the, the lack of respect with which the poor are treated. Whether the poor are winos or not, uh, the idea that you can be insolent to people in a bad situation is one of the worst aspects of, I guess, all life. Everyone deserves courtesy. Well, huh? you,
3: yes. you don't see much courtesy displayed in film or television nowadays. Yeah. Uh, it's almost a uh, veiled brutality in interpersonal relations. The, the uh, safety zone that you spoke about earlier is an important aspect because it creates... Uh, it gives you time to find out what you have in common with the other person and once you find common ground then you can build on that uh, for a personal relationship. But without banners, uh, people don't even try. There's no bridge there. There's nothing to bridge the gap. Well, I notice that when the highway patrol stops you on the street on the
2: highway, they're very polite. May I see your license, sir, and so forth and so on. And that is a safety device. I'm sure they're taught to be very careful how they talk to the citizenry because it keeps matters calm. And I, I remember that one of the things I disliked most as a boy in the periods that I went to a public school was the lack of courtesy on the part of the female teachers toward the boys. They spoke sharply. They didn't speak nicely. They, uh, they came at you uh, as though you had committed an offense when it was just an ordinary exchange, and they didn't permit you to have an opinion of your own. And it uh, it's one of the reasons, I guess, that I didn't take to continued schooling, is that, of all places, the school, which was, should be a place where manners were instilled, uh, the school, the public schools, at least, that I went to, did not show any. And I, I look at the teachers today when they go out on strike, which is the only time I see them, they're dressed in bizarre ways, and they don't, Strike me as being very mannerly people.
3: Well, you'll see this in courts nowadays. The decorum in the court is is declining. Uh, We have a female attorney here in this county who has been reprimanded by the state bar association for for, her unmannerly conduct in, in just local courts. Uh, she wears uh, chartreuse stockings and uh, bright leather boots and just anything to create a shocking appearance and uh, of course the judges can't say anything about it uh, because it's uh, discriminatory but uh, apparently her her lack of manners her lack of decorum in the court uh, earned her a, a uh, reprimand from the state yes. bar association, and the state bar association is not exactly a paragon of uh, of uh, virtue as far as behavior is concerned. Their their attorneys, trial attorneys, tend to be very aggressive and uh, very abrasive toward uh, police officers. They try to impeach the testimony and veracity of uh, police officers routinely. Just tear them down any way they can.
1: Well, one of the things that has helped the Christian school movement in this country is that the children learn manners. They not only are better educated, but they learn manners. In one of the most important court cases going back into the 70s was in a state where the law was very severe. This Christian school was not only going to be shut down, but the parents were told that if they resisted, they would have to come to court with their children's suitcases packed because they would be taken from them at the conclusion of the hearing. The parents met and are about ready to give up and to pull their children out and to put them in the public schools. The resistance was created by the one non-Christian in the group, a father. And he said, no way. My boy is calling me sir, and he's polite. And he said, I never expected to see a boy in our community as courteous as he is, let alone mine. He said, I'm going to fight for that school. And all the Christians in the room were abashed and agreed to go along with it. And they fought and they won and it was a landmark case. Mm -hmm. The Wisner case. And again and again, I have seen that parents who are non-Christian have been impressed by the school after being unwilling to put out the tuition simply because of the difference the school made in their child's life. Well, Have you
0: found that to be true, Mark? Yes, the fact, most common comment we get about people who visit our school is not what they're learning. It's the, almost a the universal comment is how do you get them to behave so well? And the only way you do it is you expect it of them. You expect it of them. And
2: you if you, you don't them, expect well,
0: good behavior fine. and you don't follow up, on demanding good right. behavior, then you don't get good behavior. Well,
3: how can you even attempt to teach children manners at home and not have that reinforced in the school? It doesn't work. Unless you have both working for the same goal, it's not going to happen.
1: One of the things that helps in teaching them that is that uniforms are required of them. So that uh, the boys aren't trying to outdo each other and being slobs. The girls aren't trying to outdress one another. Mm -hmm. They come there on the school's terms. Mm -hmm. That is an important fact in setting the temper of the children.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's an interesting sidelight because when I was a boy, I wanted to be well-dressed. And uh, I was. Not uh, elaborately, of course, but I wanted to be uh, neat, And uh, I can understand the young men today who go unshaven and in lousy clothes. Uh, It seems to me that if you let yourself slide to that extent
3: to look like a bum, you begin to act like a bum. And they do. Well, their role models are rock stars. They try to pattern themselves after the uh, people that they see in these... uh, videos, MTV and uh, so mm-hmm. forth, and uh, they're just they they look like mutants to me, they don't yes. even look like human beings some of them
2: Well, when I went to sea I wore dungarees, I worked in uh, Levi's at the end of a trip I used to throw them in the harbor <laughs> uh, I went ashore in pinstripe suit and a fedora <laughs> <laughs> Now now they
0: sell used blue jeans that are faded. Can you imagine? (laughs) Well,
1: all you have to do, Otto, to see what has happened is to go by a state high school during a recess or the noon hour and see what the boys and the girls look like. It is a continual shock to me.
2: Well, it's a shock to me to run into young women who have no respect. Yes, yes. I remember uh, when somebody of, of, of uh, my venerable age <laughs> would, they opened doors for <laughs> yes that <laughs> is not certainly not true today <laughs> and to be called by my first name we used to call servants by their first name and it was always the ultimate put down And it's a strange reversal of fashion that the first name now is uh, is used on all levels, even on all corporate levels. And you go into the CEO's office, which really looks like a yacht or something, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) he says, Call me Nolan. You know, I said, Well, that's very nice. It's an odd thing, because although the manners appear impersonal, or or rather, the manners appear personal, they're actually very impersonal. They're more impersonal than they used to be. Because there's an underlying coldness Mm -hmm. to these meetings and discussions and so forth, of which I was not previously aware. One of the things that was conveyed to me, and I'm not sure just how it was conveyed, was that when you entertain people, they shouldn't feel as though you were going out of your way. I mean, it was all supposed to be as natural as possible. You're supposed to certain a certain amount of grace involved. And uh, none of the... Uh, not, no formality uh, beyond... Well, it, it was inherent, but it wasn't uh, in front. And now... There is a certain amount of formality in business offices and, and uh, on certain professional levels. I attend, as you know, a number of seminars and whatnot, and I've known some of these people for years, and I don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. And over a long period of time, 10 or 15 years, I finally realized that this is, too, a form of discourtesy. To keep everything on such an official level over such a long period of time is, in effect, not to treat you as another peer.
1: Earlier I referred to manners as the lubricating oil of society, that which makes life livable, community possible, because it establishes ground rules for human relationships. This is why community now has, to a great extent, broken down in many areas. There is no common courtesy, no sense of uh, decent behavior. The result is that people are at odds with each other They withdraw from one another. We have more people coming together to watch games and sporting events and that sort of thing, and far less activity that people share together. I think this is quite odd. One of the things I know that uh, even in the fifties was not uncommon (coughs) was that uh, even men in their thirties and early forties would sometime uh, at a church picnic or an organization's picnic play games of volleyball or softball, and there was a community and play, there was community then in singing together. This continued until the latter part of the 50s. All this was possible because there was some kind of community. Now, one of the things that marked Uh, the games then, whether it was the children playing or adults, let's say a softball game, was that it was not taken so seriously that there would be anger if somebody made a mistake. And today it's a major problem for boys and girls who are playing in Little League that if they make a blunder, All the parents on their side, including their own parents, are upset and angry. Courtesy has given way to uh, hostility to anything less than perfection at every point. We have a highly imperfect society that is intolerant of imperfections in others. And I think that the lack of manners is responsible for.
2: Well, do you remember when it was customary to congratulate the winner in a tennis game? Yes. And McElroy lying down there and cursing and pounding the pavement yeah. and so forth and so on. Can you imagine the open gloating of, a, of a, an athlete when he makes a point or scores a point? Yes. was unthinkable.
1: If that had happened in the 20s and 30s, the person doing that sort of thing would have been... Banned for life. Banned for life and disqualified, the victory taken away from them.
3: Yes. Well, look at the behavior during the Olympics. You know, it's become routine to play to the crowd. And the crowd gets hostile if the athletes don't play to the crowd.
0: Well, but there's now. something in the crowd. The crowd expects that, and they mm-hmm. they, they enjoy it. They enjoy violent hockey games. They, they enjoy the, these tennis players who throw tantrums because they could be stopped overnight. Uh, all they have to do is saying any arguing with the official's decision, and you forfeit the match. Or mm-hmm. You're thrown out of the game. It, away. it could, it could a- stop it overnight. Yes, but the they're, they're catering to the fans who enjoy that type of behavior. Mm -hmm. Bloodlust. It's just like the soccer games in
3: Europe Mm -hmm. where they have giant riots and people are killed Mm -hmm. and trampled. Well, what about the disorder in schools, in public schools,
2: where they sass the teacher or where kids sass their parents? And you see on television, the word sass, for instance, just comes out of the memory hole. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that it's it's no longer Mm -hmm. used. Uh, on television, I show the most obnoxious children in the world.
1: Yes. It's very difficult to watch uh, television now. In fact, I don't watch it very often because even flipping channels, it's a horror to see these brats that are part of all the uh, series.
2: And children don't write those lines. No, they don't. Well, well they, they don't, they, but they're taught They to learn that way. Yeah. In effect... They're, they're like midgets, you know. They're really... Sharp. Too sharp, too yeah. adult. They don't look happy. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see kids laughing and joking uh, and sporting around the way they did when I was a boy. Uh, this crowd seems very long in the face and, and solemn. If, if you speak to one and say hello or something, you're lucky if they say hello back.
3: Well, our society is celebrating the bottom of the totem pole with uh, rewarding with Emmys, such television programs as Roseanne, where the kids routinely are sassy and uh, irreverent. And the parents are to, don't offer any role model because they do the same thing to each other and to other people. It's
2: difficult to talk in polite terms about Roseanne.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the cover to the uh, TV guide this week with a no, picture of Roseanne, no. and then the uh, question, "An Emmy for me, moi?" Yeah. What's In other words, a take-off on Miss Piggy. Yeah,
3: oh, yes.
2: Well, she didn't get one. Mm-hmm.
1: She didn't? No. Oh, I didn't know.
2: I'm, I'm, she <laughs> may sue, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Interesting comparison between a low-class family, which is all I can think of when I see Roseanne, it's just mm-hmm. a horribly low-class right, right. family, versus something like the Honeymooners, who were dirt poor... Mm -hmm. But there was a dignity to them. They they dressed neatly, and uh, their apartment was always neat, and uh, it's a far cry. Mm -hmm. It's
3: it's an indication of the contempt that the producers and writers of these programs have for American society, Mm -hmm. especially the blue collar. And that came in
2: with the Vietnam War when they began to refer to our soldiers as grunts. That was a really very difficult period to live through. This was a a traitor, treason on a broad scale. And Mr. Johnson, President Johnson, uh, went along with that by exempting college students from service. I mean, you talk about class warfare. None of the uh, so-called... Humanists protested against that open discrimination against the poor. That was taken for granted.
1: Otto, do you remember Emily Post?
2: Oh, of course.
1: Well, most people today would not know who she was, but she was the arbiter of manners in the 20s and 30s, and before that as well. And her big, fat book on etiquette uh, was a book for, uh,
3: for all occasions.
1: For all occasions, and it assumed that you had uh, some means, because uh, the kind of entertainment she talked about required a servant or two. But the interesting thing is that uh, Emily Post's etiquette was in school libraries. Because it was a kind of dictionary. And maybe uh, in 99 cases out of 100, if not 999 out of 1,000, mm-hmm. the children would not come from homes where the kind of entertaining that Emily Post talked about was possible. But the presence of the book was due to the fact that here was a standard and you were expected to meet it. And it was surprising how often the book was taken off the shelf because someone would have a question in mind and would look up as uh, they would in any reference book a particular point. That was how important Emily Post was in those days. Then after her came Amy Vanderbilt, but I don't know who writes now on etiquette or whether there's any book of any consequence. There is
2: a Miss Manners who is a columnist now. My father used to take me to lunch every so often to a restaurant. He took me down to the Seville, which is a hotel in lower Manhattan, a very nice old-fashioned hotel even then, tablecloths, potted ferns, and a, a small string orchestra. I didn't care for it because the food was Spanish and he liked it because it was. But his idea was that I should grow up to learn how to handle myself in a public place, and also to tell the difference between good service and poor service. And uh, I still do, and I still know the difference. Uh, He would not pay a tip for poor service. He would say there's no tip because the service was poor, and that was that. And uh, I've never quite had that much uh, nerve. I've, I've left something out of a sense of guilt of some sort, you know, for having been stupid enough to go in the place. But it was his theory that one should know how to handle himself in a public place. Now, what can we say? Uh, we go to a restaurant today and we see families, and uh, some of them are very well behaved and some are pretty horrible. So it's a mixed bag. There's no standard. As yes. You were talking earlier about the time when there were standard mm-hmm. things that were accepted on all sides. I'm confounded today by the dress code. Uh, at the green bar, I met a fellow from uh, the oil company that I knew who has a house home there. And I was uh, all dressed up attending a meeting and he was in uh, golf clothes. He invited me over to his place the next day and I got into casual clothes and went over and everybody was all dressed up because it was Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm always off base now.
1: Well, that's because there is no standard such as we knew when we were young and you automatically knew what you were expected to do at a particular time. Right. Well, I think the question of manners, even though it is a remote one in our time, is very, very important because without a return to manners, we're not going to return to a Christian culture.
2: Women are making a big point about male manners, about what men, how men treat them, how how men talk to them, how men speak to them, and so forth. I mean, don't forget the famous... Clarence Thomas case, where mm-hmm. uh, bad manners ten years previously were brought up, uh, if if they existed or not, it's pretty hard to say after ten years, but uh, the reverse, you never hear anything about the uh, duty of women to behave courteously toward men.
3: Well, they're encouraged in the universities, uh, they're encouraged to be uh, discourteous
1: I understood why Paul forbade women to speak at services when I was lecturing at universities, which I did extensively in the 60s. Paul said that women were to keep silent. If they had a question to ask, they were to ask their husbands to ask it. Now... The services in those days were in homes. Uh, Very often uh, they would limit the number who could attend because if too many attended, it would attract the attention of authorities and could lead to an arrest because you were not allowed to have any kind of meeting without a license. Well, there would be in these meetings after the uh, elder in charge expounded the scriptures an opportunity to ask questions. And since some of those and such meetings were usually strangers who were new to the faith or did not even believe but had been invited, naturally they would not know how to... uh, React, but the men, by and large, were more or less unwilling to be offensive. But women could be very offensive at such meetings, very offensive, because they could presume on the fact that they were women. This is what I found when I went to the universities. And the professors who were women were the worst offenders they would get up and interrupt and deny that you had the right to continue speaking. An absolute absence of manners, a feeling that they had the right to dictate to any man because he was a male and an oppressor. So I think we have a very serious problem, and I think men have created it because they haven't taught their daughters properly.
2: Well, you hear this in interviews on radio and TV. You know, with a, uh, I heard Sunday snatches of some woman journalist interviewing a vice president. She interrupted not just once or twice, but she interrupted persistently through all his answers. And uh, I find that this isn't limited, however, to female journalists. I listen to Crossfire, and this fellow Kinsley not only interrupts people, but yes. he tries to outshout mm-hmm. them. He raises his voice. He, he uh, when they answer, they do an- manage to answer. He will say, "Oh, so that you really mean something else."
1: He should be given a national award for being a bore.
2: He really is, but he went to very expensive schools, mm-hmm. and I'm amazed at that. Uh, in general. It's difficult, you hardly ever hear a conversation on the electronic media where people are allowed to make their point.
3: Mm-hmm. The ones on PBS that's routine, Judy Woodruff and uh, Charlene hunter Galt, uh they're very tough, very hard, and uh, they try to put words in the mouths of the people that they're interviewing and um, they're just very abrasive just as unmannerly and as abrasive as they can be because they want to show that they're in control
2: that's the whole game I remember hearing Enoch Powell being interviewed by uh, what's his name, David Frost and Frost was nagging him and Powell said just what is it you're trying to force me to say Mr. Frost Mm
3: -hmm.
2: which threw him back a bit
1: The most evil, unmannerly and ungodly interviewing I have ever seen was what Margaret Thatcher was routinely subjected to by the British journalists. It was appalling. They could not hardly wait to outdo one another in their discourtesies. The remarkable thing was the calmness and serenity with which she took it all and was able to put them down in a magnificent way.
2: Well, the English can be the most offensive people in the face of the earth if there's nothing they can get from you. If they want something from you, they can talk the birds out of the trees.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true Irishman. (laughs) And Scott... (laughs) Well, I do believe that an important aspect in the revival of manners is the Christian school. It is creating a different type of person. And while no doubt there are schools across country that are not ideal, On the whole, it is easy to spot the Christian school children when you're traveling because they represent a totally different perspective. They have a respect for their elders. They are mannerly. They know how to sit still and listen. They don't tear the place apart. They're simply different.
2: It must help in teaching, doesn't it? Oh, Oh, yes. I don't I I really see how a public school teacher could teach.
0: I, I don't either. I don't see how it's, it's possible. In a lot of... Uh, they don't teach to part of the class, the class that's not paying attention or is rowdy, doesn't get taught to. Others who are well-behaved, can't concentrate, so they don't get out of it, And so they're really teaching to the minority in anything they do.
3: They become circus remasters, really. They just take the roll and shuffle the papers. Mm -hmm. It's sad.
1: Yes. I was told by one teacher that it takes better than half the hour to take the role and to get the class settled Mm -hmm. so that you can tell them what their assignment is.
2: New York has had a bad effect on the rest of the country. Yes. I remember working for a photo reporting service, photo and industrial reporting service, and uh, the head of it, Al Roberts, was a former second-string catcher for the New York Giants at that time. He was a pretty husky fellow. And uh, I, Al, I was a reporter under him, and he... <coughs> I was in his office one day going through the files, Al was not a likable fellow, and he didn't want to be, he didn't He didn't work at it, and he wasn't. I was going through some file, looking something up, and he was looking at me, watching me, and he said, you know, Otto, you're not bad, but he said, you're not aggressive enough. And it struck me at the wrong moment, and I turned around and said, would you like me to get aggressive? And he said, well, that's not the way I meant it. I said, that's what it means.
1: Mm -hmm. And do you have any
2: more comments?
1: Mm -hmm. He said no. (laughs) Well, one of the things that struck me as a good sign was in the news this evening when they were asking various people how they felt about Canseco being traded by the Oakland Athletics to Texas. And there were those who felt it would be a disaster for the future of the Oakland Athletics, there were one or two who were ready to welcome it out of the four or five they interviewed because they found him to be obnoxious, bad-mannered, and a poor sport.
2: Mm -hmm. Now,
1: I was very interested in that Mm -hmm. because it indicates that... uh, even though this man has been a sensational player there are those who are saying that's not enough and that's a healthy sign
2: yes it is no if he's a poor sport that would mean that he would be hard to work with hard to play with Uh, he uh, I saw a statement that he made or I watched him making a statement in which he expressed some bitterness Mm-hmm. But he also said that uh, it was obvious that if he was being treated with such disrespect,
0: it was really time to move on. Well, in, <laughs> in Northern California, there are probably ten Giants fans for every one Oakland athletics fan because Oakland has a reputation of being a team of uh, prima donnas, just spoiled uh, brats and like The Giants have more of the traditional... <laughs> aura of an old-fashioned team, Mm. and Oakland just doesn't have that. I see. And, And lots of fans just won't have anything to do with Oakland. That's why they're so disappointed that it's the Giants that are leaving town. Right. Well... So there, there's and, and Giants fans are not known, as far as the ones in the stadium, are not, not known for being polite fans. Mm. They're, they're some of the most ugly fans. Mm. Well, do they make any decent fans anymore, I wonder? <laughs> I don't know. I think the best fans, the well-behaved ones, avoid going to the ballpark in many cases. Ah, yeah.
3: Don't you think uh, that, uh, looking back time-wise, it seems to me that from about the 1950s on, when the the big push, the liberal movement into the universities to destroy the status quo and attack all of the existing Mm -hmm. uh, institutions, that uh, manners was one of the things that was methodically attacked. As Really,
2: the destruction of the uh, dignity of the president, no matter who he is. After all, the president's a unifying symbol, unifying office Mm -hmm. of the country. The dumping on to Lyndon Johnson, the dumping on to Goldwater, the dumping on to Bush right now, uh, this is horrible.
1: I think this is almost getting into another subject, that an example, a very bad one, was set for the student generation by President John F. Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy after their assassinations, a lot of the well-known stories of their arrogant and rude behavior uh, tended to be pushed into the background. But uh, they were routinely discourteous. They were contemptuous of those around them, They were bad-mannered, as only those who've been brought up with wealth and have learned to treat everyone without wealth, with contempt, can be. So I think their role in setting the temper for the 60s has been to a great degree neglected.
2: Well, Lyndon Johnson, I had a a, a columnist on the magazine that worked Mm -hmm. for me, who was over in the White House talking to a friend of his, and this was the White House, not the Mm -hmm. executive office building, and Johnson came in and called this man every name in the the language and a few that he invented for the occasion, and then went on out the other door. And uh, the columnist said to the fellow, how can you stand that? How can you put up with that? Oh, he said it's routine, you get used to it.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, Lyndon
2: Johnson wasn't raised to wealth, but he was absolutely the bottom.
1: Yes. Well, the Kennedys, Johnson, and then Nixon all set examples for bad manners, in Nixon's case, uh, foul speech. That's
2: true. Nixon, though, was always trying to be one of the boys and never succeeded. hmm <clears throat>
1: Well, our time is just about over. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.